let's go to the Lord right now. Father, we do thank you for your provision. Like, you own the cattle of a thousand hills, and you can provide for us more than we can possibly imagine, and we trust you and know that you will give us exactly what we need to do the ministry that you have called us to, and so we're grateful for that. But Father, we do pray that you would provide, because we want to continue to serve and continue to bring glory to your name. I am so thankful for the faithful servants around this body who give, so thankful for those that serve, that give not only of their finances, but their times and their talents. Lord, bless them spiritually, bless them in their lives. Uh, I just pray, Father, that you would do that work. But Father, now as we shift our time and our hearts and our minds to your word, Lord, would you help us to see what you would have for us this morning? Father, you would help us to hear what you would have for us this morning. Pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so Christmas. Christmas is a time where we are to look upon and celebrate Jesus, to look at who he is, to look at what he has done, which really is a birth out of who he is. And so for the next several weeks, we, we've got a sermon entitled, He Is. And this is all based out of Colossians. And here's why. Because 2,000 years ago, a baby changed everything, didn't it? Like You may think all kinds of things about Jesus, but all of us have to admit that 2,000 years ago, a baby changed history. Changed human history. A baby has changed the heart of kings. This baby has changed the heart of men and women for it, across all kinds of different spaces. Socioeconomic th- classes, generations, ethnicities. This baby has had an effect upon this world in a way that nobody else has. Amen? Now, here's the thing that I want us to ponder this morning that I at least want us to start to thinking. Have you ever pondered how could that happen? Maybe you're in this room and you don't believe in Jesus at all. You have to at some point deal with the reality that whether you think Jesus is the Son of God or not, He did something no one else has been able to do. No one. How could this baby truly cause billions of people from generation to generation in all kinds of different places to celebrate Him every year for 2,000 years. How could it be that a baby from, listen, let's just be honest, from a hated people, the Jewish people, the Israelites, they've not been liked by very many people in all of history. Just think about it. We have a word for it, anti-Semitism. Like, like it's a baby from this people, and it's not even a baby from like the top upper, upper echelon or the cream of the crop of the people of Israel. A baby that came from this people of Israel to a nobody mom who's not married to a nobody town called Nazareth. Born in a nobody place called Bethlehem. And this baby has changed everything. How could it be that his name is still uttered with awe and reverence? That his birth is seen as the greatest turning point in the history of humanity. Our text today illuminates why Jesus has affected so much. But our text today also shows truths that are so deeply written upon our hearts that no matter how much we try to rebel and push against them, Jesus brings light to them. 
and shows us that there's real challenges in our own hearts. And we have to face that at, at, at Christmas time. And so if you would, please turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 15 through 20. And Patty is going to read for us out of Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And would you please stand with me out of respect for God's word as Patty reads for us. Now we stand as a reminder, not because it's something magical, but we stand because the word of God has authority over us as his people. And we believe that. And that's why we do that. And so Patty, if you would, please read for us. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All right, thank you, Patty. Pray with me again real quick. Father, this is your word, it is not mine. It is you communicating these things to us, and we have to deal with what you are saying. I pray, Father, that you would help our hearts and our eyes be open to whatever that is this morning. What you have communicated made your spirit lead us to truth. And Father, I pray that you would prevent us from going anywhere outside of your truth or your will. I pray, Father, that you would use me as a weak vessel to, to just speak through me, uh, use me to bring glory to your name. I pray, Father, these things in your name. Amen. Church, go ahead and have a seat. So how many of you have ever heard the term imago dei? It's a term that gets thrown around a lot in, in talks like abortion and things like that, which is big in the news right now. Imago Dei means the image of God. And it's a concept that is intended to capture part of God's created intent for us. The image of God. Something that we, as people, hold that no other part of creation holds. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 1. This is a verse that you're probably familiar with. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female. Now, here's what's interesting about this. This doesn't mean that you and I have a nose like God. Or a mouth like God. Or hands and feet like God. Like he's spirit, we're body. Now many people would say that what this means is that we have the ability to remember and think about things morally and we have the ability to have emotions and I think that that's absolutely part of what it means to be in the image of God. But it's so much more than that. It means that we, as people, were created to bear his likeness, his pattern of being and existence into every single part of creation we were to bear his image, his moral, just, righteous, good, creating, loving, joyful, peaceful, kind, patient, beautiful pattern of reigning and likeness was to go into all of creation through his image bearers. We were to be and intended to be a clear reflection of the God in heaven. This doesn't mean that we're little gods. Some people would say that, like we're just little gods. That's not what this means. 
But it does mean that we were meant to not only look like him, but we are to reflect him for his glory. This has always been what we were made for. We were meant to gaze upon God clearly, to see him, to behold him, to dwell with him, to commune with him. And this is how Adam and Eve existed, uh, way at the beginning of creation. If you remember, in the Garden of Eden, they walked with God. They saw God. Like, there was no distinction. There was no difference. There was no separation between them and the living God of the universe, the one who made them. They walked with him. They saw his image, and they were then able to reflect his image. But you know, at least I hope you know, how that story ended. It didn't end well. Like, it doesn't end with Adam and Eve just seeing the image of God. It ends with them turning away from that. They decided to listen to the temptation of a fallen angel to bear another image. The image of the created as supreme and themselves. And two things happened as a result of this. Their clear reflection became a distortion. Their clear reflection became a distortion. Like, all of us in this space, at some level, still reflect the image of God, but it's distorted, isn't it? It's broken. It's, it's, it's twisted. It's like those old VHS tapes that you would stick in the video player, and then you'd watch them, and they'd have that wavy part at the front, at the top. Some of you have no idea. Kids, there was this thing called a VHS tape. All right, and you stuck it in, and you watched a movie on it, and there was a thing called tracking. You had to track it, and you hated it because you'd rent these movies, and you'd try to watch a movie, and half of the movie of the screen was like wavy and all screwed up. And you'd be like, Mom, Dad, fix it, fix it, and they couldn't. Like, this is what we are like. Like, we are a distorted image. We're, we're wavy and goofy and broken and all kinds of if, issues. Like, we are a distorted image. We no longer are able to bear the image of God the way he intended us to, and there's a reason for that. And that leads me to the second point. It's because the clear view of God that Adam and Eve had has now been obscured for us. See, we can't bear his image perfectly because we can't even see him perfectly clearly. Like, there's separation between us. Because of our sin... We are separated from the living God. We are separated from the one who made us. Now that's a terrible tragedy. And this is how we all live. We can't see him anymore. At least not clearly. Which means we cannot bear his image anymore. Not the way we were supposed to. And so the very core of our purpose, we are unable to attain to. We are all like a clock that can no longer tell time. All of us are. Think about how this obscured view affects us in our lives. We were made in his image, intended to see his image, and to walk with him as we reflect his image. That part of us still exists. It is woven into our nature. It's who we are. But now we can't see him anymore, so here comes the question, what are we going to reflect? What are we going to reflect? And here's the thing. We all know we're going to reflect something, don't we? Like nobody teaches us to want to reflect the things that are around us that we, especially the people around us, that we esteem to be beautiful and valuable and good. Like it's, it's, it's literally part of how we grow and how we mature. Nobody teaches a baby to look at the people that are around them that are walking and go, ooh, I want to do that. They just do it. They naturally mimic the people that they watch. This happened to me all the time growing up in my family, in my home. 
<clears throat> excuse me, many of you know that my dad um, is not my biological dad. Um, he adopted me and my brother. And yet, over and over again throughout our years growing up, we would hear people say, oh, you look just like your dad. And we would be thinking in our head, like, what are you talking about? How can I have my dad's nose? I don't have his DNA. But here's what they were seeing. They were seeing that I, by my nature, was reflecting characteristics and the way he talked and the way he acted and the way he moved into my life. Nobody told me to do it. I just started to adopt those things. I was bearing my dad's image, even though I had no genetics tied to him. This is part of who we are. It's part of how we're made to be. This happens all over the place. That's why we see a sports figure, and we want to be just like that sports figure and throw the ball just like that sports figure. It's why influencers are such a big deal right now, because we look at them, and we're like, man, I want their life. And so I begin to reflect them and mimic them, and I want to do my hair like they do their hair and my makeup the way they do their makeup. I don't do makeup, but if you're a gal, but it's maybe the way I want to work out, the way that they work out, so that I can mimic and be like these people. It's all over the place. It's in magazines and entertainment these things are there because we naturally want to reflect something. Our lives are shaped by what we see. In other words, part of our nature is to become what we look upon. This is the essence of worship that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Claiming to be wise, they, all of mankind, became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. God made us to gaze upon Him and to bear His image, to see Him as wise and wonderful and amazing and to walk in His glory. And instead, we started to claim to be wise. We started to say, no, we're the ones that we should reflect. And we want to start looking at ourselves. And so we exchanged who we should be reflecting for images of the created who we now all try to reflect. But let's just assume we want to see at some point the futility of doing this. Like, just think about the futility of reflecting other created people. You're reflecting other broken people. We're reflecting the brokenness in other people. Like, just think about it, how it works itself out in families. As a son sees a father who maybe treats his wife poorly or the son's mother poorly, he reflects that and carries that broken reflection into his marriage and creates havoc and devastation in his marriage because he naturally mimics what his father did. Why are we replicating the people around us that are just as broken as we are? You see the silliness in that? The craziness in that? This is what we do. But here's the thing. Let's assume you see the silliness in that. And you want to start reflecting God. How do you see Him? Like, How do you see God? Especially when we're separated from God. This is what our sin has done. And what we know and what we see in Scripture is that the Old Testament is all about God right after the fall trying to reveal who He is to His people through his law, through provision, through prophets, through all these different things. God is revealing himself to the people of Israel because what God wanted was a people who could bear his image, his righteousness, 
He wanted godly offspring. This is what Malachi says. Malachi chapter 2, verse 15 says, Did he not make them, talking about the people of Israel, one with a portion of his spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Did it work? As God was sharing those things, did it, did it work? The answer is no. Israel failed in that time and time and time again. And as God revealed more of himself, it only revealed how dark their seeing was. And how unable they were to reflect who he was. Something had to be done about the separation between God and man. Something had to be done about that distance where we couldn't see him. Here is where the story of Christmas becomes beautiful. And here is where the baby comes into play. And just read with this in mind now, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 again. In His image, or He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. God was visible to Adam and Eve. Like, like in some sense, he, they were able to walk with him in that defect. And listen, understand, for the first time since the Garden of Eden, we now have a perfect view of God in Jesus. God in full view. In the midst of our broken hand in humanity, God with us. That's what Emmanuel means when you sing it this Christmas. It's God with us. See, those people who are out there who would say, Jesus is just a prophet, he's just a really good guy, like, miss the point of Scripture. They miss the whole point of what God is trying to do. He is giving us a restoration of being able to see him, being able to see him clearly. Jesus isn't a created being. He is the King of kings. He is God. He is the very image of that which is invisible to us prior to Jesus. How do we know this? How do we know that Jesus is actually God himself? Well, I want to walk quickly through some consistent teaching in Scripture and even things that Jesus said to help us see that this is not just something that people pulled out of Scripture years later, but this is the intent of God from day one. But to begin that, we need to deal with this concept of being the firstborn of creation. Paul says this in Colossians. And here's the thing. That can trip people up and say, oh, look, see, Jesus was a created being. He was the firstborn of all creation. Well, let me just real quickly, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on that. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that he was actually created in a linear fashion. What that's talking about is rank and and intent and purpose and inheritance. All right? So that's what that's about. And we see this precedence in other places in Scripture. For example, in Psalm chapter 89, verse 27, listen to this verse. And I will make him, who's him? That's David. He's talking about King David in the Old Testament. He says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. How do you make somebody firstborn? Aren't they either firstborn or not firstborn? See, the point of this is, and if you know the story of David, David is not the firstborn. David is actually the lastborn son of Jesse. 
But to the people of the first century Judaism and to the people of the Old Testament and to the New Testament, being firstborn meant a ton about your position in the family, your rank in the family, your inheritance as uh, who would get the majority of the inheritance of the father. It's about position and rank, something we don't think about much. We want to do everything even, right? And so when Paul writes Jesus is the firstborn of creation, he's not saying Jesus was created. He's saying Jesus is going to inherit everything that was created. That's what he's saying. So it's rank and position. So I just wanted to clear that up. But here's some other texts that I want us to look at across Scripture. First, Isaiah 7, 14 tells us that a baby of a virgin will be called God with us. Emmanuel. God with us. Not somebody who looks kind of like God, but God himself with us. John chapter 1, verse 1 speaks of Jesus as the Word. It says the Word, who is Jesus, was not only with God, but was God. Hard to get a lot more clear than that, right? But you say, well, maybe Jesus didn't really think he was God. Well, that's interesting because in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus says that he, he calls himself the I am. They're talking about Abraham, and he says, before Abraham was, I am. And that is a clear representation of Jesus saying, I am the I am. Yahweh, the God of the universe, the creator. And if you think that we misinterpret that, just simply ask the question, why after Jesus said, I am, did all the Pharisees want to stone him to death? Because they knew exactly what Jesus was doing. And they knew exactly what Jesus was claiming. He was claiming to be God. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, is what Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 21 says, He is the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, who died. When did God ever die? Jesus. And so everywhere in Scripture, we're seeing that Jesus is God. The fullness of God. I want to read that text. This is Colossians out of what we read this morning. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It doesn't say some of God was pleased to dwell. It doesn't say that certain aspects of God was pleased to dwell. It doesn't say that he reflected God well. No, it says the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I could go on and on and on. Jesus accepts worship, something that the angels don't even do. It's all over the scriptures. Scripture declares something that is very simple and yet is very hard for us to grasp. And I want you to hear this. Jesus, this baby that we celebrate in this season, was not made in the image of God. He is the image of God. He is God. Don't miss that. You want to know the answer to the question, how did this all happen? It's because the image of God became visible for us for the first time in history. And just seeing that has changed history. Jesus, this baby, was not made in the image of God. He is the image of God. He is God. And God, in Jesus, is restoring our ability to behold him. We see through his word absolutely. 
but we see in Jesus more clearly. We see in Jesus the perfect image. Again, we started by asking the question, how does a baby change so much of this world? It's because the invisible has been made visible. We've been returned to Eden in a sense. God, again, is willing and can dwell with us in Jesus because he's dealing with our sin, which is what separates us from him. Christmas is the celebration of the image of God, the fullness of God, the exact imprint of God, the Alpha and the Omega being revealed. It is about shining light into our darkness that we, as people, could see him again. It's more than that, though. Now that we can behold him through faith in him, now that our sins can be dealt with and we can now be in relationship with him, we can now dwell with him because of the spirit that he has then gives us as people who have placed faith in him, we are now able to actually be who we were made to be more and more every day. We can actually start to become image bearers. And here's the hope and promise one day When we come face to face with Jesus, we will be fully made into his likeness. If you question whether or not we actually become what it is that we look upon, look at 1 John 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. That's comforting. And what we will be has not yet appeared. It means we still have a ways to go, don't we? When will it be appear? When will it appear? But we know that when he, being Jesus, appears, we shall be like Jesus. Why? Because we shall see him. That's where that says. Once we see Jesus face to face, we will be like Jesus. What an amazing hope. I love the way that Martin Luther puts this, and I want to quote it out of a book from Kevin Van Huser, but Luther's word says this, the logos, that's Greek for word, that's Jesus, the logos puts on our form and pattern, our image and likeness, so that he, it's a language thing, but so that he may clothe us with his image, his pattern, and his likeness. Let me read it again. The logos, Jesus, puts on our form and pattern, our image and likeness, so that he may clothe us with his image, his pattern, and his likeness. See what's happening? Jesus is the image of God is now opening the door for us to become what we were intended to be. The baby that was born to Mary isn't just a baby. He's not just a good man. He's not even somebody who just does a lot of what God calls him to do. He is unique above all things. He is God himself with us coming to reconcile that which has been broken and separated to give sight to us that we could see God. No baby could have put us right back at the beginning as new creations. And that's exactly what Jesus does. I want to point out one more thing to us as we ponder the coming of God as flesh. And I said at the beginning that this reveals a truth that's in all of us. And I think this is such a hopeful thing. Look back at Colossians chapter one. He is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, and don't miss this highlighted, and for him. So all things, trees, stars, the Grand Canyon, moons, universe, rivers, cats, dogs, people, all things that are created, angels, demons, all of them are for Jesus. Let me ask you this way. This will help us illuminate what, where this leads us. Have you ever been a part of somebody or an experience or an engage with a person where you look at that and you engage that, that moment and you say, I was made for this. Has anybody ever been in that kind of a moment? Like as a young person, if you're young or you're graduating high school or maybe you're in college, a lot of times what we're looking for is, man, I, I want to find that career that I'm made to do. And, and what we mean by saying that or when we engage in a moment like that or we meet a person where we say, man, I was made for my wife or I was made for my husband. Or I was made to hunt. I was made to photography or to be an engineer or to be an accountant. I was just made for this. What we're saying in that moment is that in this space, I truly feel alive. I truly feel free to just soar and be who I'm supposed to be. I, I feel like I can truly reach my potential in this space. I feel like I can truly be satisfied in this space. I can truly be fulfilled in this life. If I do this, I can finally be complete because I was made for this. Now, here's the thing. Whether that's true or not, it's something we've all experienced at some point and we all tend to try to pursue that thing that we're made for. And sadly, many of us never make it. Sadly, many of us never make it. We never find that thing that we say, man, I was truly made for this. And that leads to despair. And it leads to this feeling like, man, I just, I just have to get through life and try to find as much enjoyment as I can. Some of us get to the top of that mountain and we do the thing that we're made for only to find out that something's wrong. Like it doesn't actually do in us what we hope that it would do. It, the satisfaction doesn't last forever. The freedom doesn't last forever. And so we start looking for other things or we just say, I guess this is all there is. Sometimes this works itself out in a midlife crisis. Sometimes it works itself out in changing a career. But here we say all over the place, like I want to find the thing that I'm made for. But brothers and sisters, here's the thing. That is evidence of Romans chapter 1 where we're trying to fill into an eternal whole things that are created. You aren't made for anything that's created. You are made for Him. You are made for Jesus. This is what we were made for. And so many people walk around just in desperation because that thing that they thought was going to be what they were made to do has been taken from us. And this is what the fall is. It makes us pine and grasp for things that ultimately aren't going to fulfill us and things that ultimately aren't going to meet that, that desire within us. Christmas, this text is about God's plan, God's work to recreate us, to remake us through faith in Jesus to bring us back to a place where we can truly say, I was made for him. I was made for him. 
I was made to be with him. I was made to see him. I was made to bear his image. I was made to dwell with him. I was made to behold him. I was made to look upon him and walk with him. And all the wonderful things in creation that we get to experience, like those things are only like shadows and moments for me to give praise to him. Because Jesus is the image of God. Because he is the fullness of God. Because he is the great I am who we are made for. We will, he will begin to show us what we were truly made for, and that is Jesus. We are made to find true life in Jesus. We are made to soar in the freedom of Jesus. We are made to find our potential, not in being an engineer, but to find our potential in Jesus. We are made to find the fullness of joy, not in the newest iPhone, but in Jesus. Made to be complete, not in a spouse, but in Jesus. Made to be satisfied, not in the newest thing or the next thing, but in Jesus. We were made for this. When you take the weight of all of everything off, or everything else off of it, that it wasn't ever intended to bear, those things now become truly beautiful. When I don't have to look at my wife and say, well, you're supposed to be the one that fulfills every desire of my life because you're the one that's supposed to be for me, I'm made for you. And I now see that I'm truly made for Jesus, not just for her. She doesn't have to bear that weight. And it truly frees my marriage to be in a healthy space. God is restoring. He's recreating. Those things are but shadows. They're gifts, but they're shadows. The baby, who is the image of God, has changed history and the lives of billions of people because he made visible what was invisible. And not only did he make visible what was invisible, but he dealt with the problem that was separating us from the Father in the first place by taking the punishment for our sins upon his shoulders so that we would not have to bear them. The image of God did this for us. The image of God did this to bring glory to his name, that he would have billions of image bearers across this planet and across this world bearing his image as godly offspring. He is recreating us for our original intent. Brothers and sisters, he's making the clock tell time again. That's what Jesus is doing. He's, he's making the clock tell time again. Christmas isn't just about us being saved from our sins. It's about Jesus restoring us to what and who we were made for. To bear his image. To see him and to walk with him. I want to leave you with this text as we close our time. Hear the word of the Lord out of Revelation chapter 21. And Jesus said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This is what you were made for. He will satisfy. And when you find joy in Him, it will never end. When you find satisfaction in Him, it will never dissipate. When you find purpose in him, it will never go away. It will never leave you wanting. 
this is what this text says. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Church, this is what you are made for. Amen? This is what Christmas is about. Christmas is about hearing for the first time since the Garden of Eden, I will be their God and he and she will be my son and daughter. I mean, I just look across this room and I see the faces and names and can you imagine hearing Jesus say this to you? Hearing this, I will be Darren's God and Darren will be my son. Now, this changes everything for us. We were made for this. I want us to catch this in Christmas because that's what Christmas is about. And we are so busy ourselves with trying to run after other things, the created things, when the not created image of God is right in front of us saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. Father, I just want to thank you for this work that you have done. You, in your great compassion and grace and mercy, have restored, have restored what we were intended to be. You were there thousands of years ago when you made us to bear your image. You were there thousands of years ago when Adam and Eve, when they chose to exchange your glory for the glory of that which was created in that circumstance themselves, to begin to look upon other images, to bear other images. And Father, in that moment, you had every right to end it all and start over. You could have wiped the slate clean and just said, man, I'm doing this all over again and and I don't want to go through all this process. But you intended a plan and a purpose to restore us back. And so you revealed yourself in your law. You revealed yourself through your prophets. You revealed yourself through your scriptures and through your word and through your people. And time and time and time again, we have chosen to look upon the image of the created And yet in your patience and in your love, when the time was right, you sent your son. Your very image, the fullness of your essence, the fullness of your nature, so that we could see as if that wasn't enough Jesus grew to be a man and did mighty works and ultimately went to the cross and allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be spilt so that we our sin that which separates us could be forgiven so that we could not only see you but we could dwell with you forever 
Father, I pray this morning for those of us in this room that know you, that our faith is in you, our trust is in you. Lord, would you just help us to just revel in that this season? The work that you have done, help us to see Jesus for who he really is, to gaze upon him for who he truly is. And Lord, in that, may you stir our hearts. May you help us to see that we were made for him. We were made for you. May that be the joy of this season for us, for those who are in you. And I pray, Father, for those right now that are listening, maybe those that are in this space that are not in you, that do not know you, who have exchanged your glory for other images. They've they've worshipped other things. They've run after other things. They've reflected other things They've tried to find what they were made for in a career or a relationship or a substance or an entertainment. Father, I pray that as they find those things to be lacking and as they see you this morning, they would lay those things down and exchange the images of this world for the true glory of God. I pray, Father, that you would do that. May they know that there's not a sin that is beyond your forgiving work. There is not a sin that is beyond your grace. There is not a failure that is beyond your mercy in Jesus Christ. His love, his blood is truly sufficient.